0: You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain, with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Hello, it's Yusuf here. I have had a lot of requests over the last few months for a full guide and walkthrough on meditation. What is meditation? The what, the why, the how, how to get started and also how to instill it as a habit in your daily life and then take things further and beyond. So I'm feeling nice today and I thought I'll give you guys this throwback. So what you're about to hear is a webinar that I originally recorded for our paid private VIP propane athletes group. But I thought, you know what, I've got a lot of requests, so I'm going to release this as a podcast. So you will hear a few references because this was recorded last year to the fact that I was about to go on a meditation retreat. So that was a 10-day Vipassana retreat, and I have been on that since. I've recorded a few as debriefs for that specifically that you can listen to if you go on to the show notes for this podcast. So you can find that through iTunes or at PropaneFitness.com, and it's all linked in there um, because that was very much a experience of itself that um, I think needed a full debrief on on its own. So for more in-depth guides like the one to follow and to access your full training program, cheat sheets, accountability, nutrition tracking, training program, and full access to us as the coaches, you can always join the Propane Protocol at propaneprotocol.com. Okay, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of past Yusuf. Meditation 101. I'm going to do a more formal video on this on YouTube over the next few months, hopefully after I do the 10 day retreat, but this has been requested quite a lot by you guys, so I'm going to give you an overview today. This is probably going to be quite a long video, so you won't need slides or anything, you can just leave it on another tab or you can lie down and listen to it, whatever. But um, I'm going to cover what, why of meditation, plus a bit of the how how you can get started, how you can build in a bulletproof habit for meditation, how you can really start to convince yourself of the benefits of it rather than me telling you, and the three things that you need to have in place to establish a deep focus, habit building and routine with meditation to really get the most out of it. Also, we'll cover a little bit about the best way to rotate your practice when things stall out and how to measure your progress. So as we go along, Any questions, remember to post in the comments below. All right, so first of all, what is meditation and what has it got to do with lifting or any of this process? Why am I doing a module on meditation in Fat Loss Mastery? So the key thing really is that your desire for improving yourself, improving your physique and getting on top of your diet and your training really stems from something deeper. And any anyone that tells you that it's not, and that it's a superficial thing, is chatting lyrics. Because you cannot just come in and make a surgical, isolated, vacuum change in your life without affecting the rest of the elements of your being. And we are mind-body-spirit, and so if you come in and you make a change in one aspect, you're going to have Knock on a knock-on cascade of stuff in the other realms as well. And this is why you see a lot of top athletes are also quite clear thinkers or they're quite spiritually advanced, even having not necessarily done dedicated practice in, in those other domains. Equally, the other way around, you, you often get the same thing too. And if you have someone who is a purist academic, let's say, and they don't do any physical activity, they're holding themselves back because they're not able to grow in all three of their core dimensions. A lot of fit pros are kind of jumping on the bandwagon as well, having really not put in any of the groundwork with meditation. And um, it's kind of, I found it quite annoying, but I didn't want to be another one of those people having not had a huge amount of experience myself. When when I say that I've been meditating for about 10 years, but um, this is i.e. that I've not ordained, I've not been a monk, so I've not got the kind of the highest level overview, um, deepest experience of this, but um, at least it's uh, it's as good as I'm going to find in the fitness industry. So um, I feel at this point I've put in enough groundwork to at least be able to share some of the insights along the way and to help you get started with this. So meditation, what is it? It is a discipline in the deepest sense of the word And it is, at its root, the cultivation of the mind, just as training is cultivation of the body. And I'm going to avoid using the the word spirit or spiritual rhetoric as much as I can, just because it's a bit more nebulous, it's a bit more difficult to define, and it kind of puts people off. And I think if we stick to pragmatic terms, the esoteric will kind of take care of itself. So it's a non-religious practice, it's secular, and It's really the, it's the marriage of the spiritual and the secular without any kind of need for doctrine. And by doing it, you'll start to see more and more the nature of your own mind. That is, that the mind is almost like a hall of mirrors. It's a reflection chamber. And what you put into it is just what's reflected back, either in the short term or in the long term. And so it just secretes thoughts based on the accumulation of what you've put into it. The same way that <clears throat> the data on your computer is just an amalgam of what you've put in over time. The files that you've downloaded, if you've been downloading some dodgy files, you will have a dodgy computer. And the longer that you're in the game of meditation, the more layers that you uncover. And the same way that the longer that you've been in fitness, um, I see Hayden's watching and um, Hayden's kind of gone down this route as well. And I'm sure you can attest to this, Hayden, that the longer you've been in fitness, the longer you realize that your motivations go deeper and deeper. And actually the core motivation was not what you necessarily thought it was at the beginning. It might have been like, oh, I want to get abs because I want to get more pussy or whatever it is. And actually that's a very superficial motivation. And then when when we go deeper... At the end of at the core of everything it's i want to grow spiritually mentally and physically i want to uncover the deeper layer of myself and understand myself and that's that's really um, the root of why we do these things the guy from headspace andy puddicum says beginning meditation is like looking into a mirror maybe we like what we see maybe we don't but either way there's no use arguing with the reflection so you're going deep within you're starting this journey And you may not like what you see the same way that you might may not like your physique when you start training, but the only way out is through. So it's connecting with something bigger than ourselves, as well as developing our concentration and our ability to emotionally regulate ourselves as well. And there's a huge amount of benefits of meditation itself. It can help keep you lean, help keep you restrained from binges and from, um, foods or general automatic indulgent behavior that we don't want to do we can still do that if we want to do it consciously but we're not being thrown around by the roller coaster of our minds there's some data to show that it can help us recover faster there's a huge amount of data on anxiety and depression and um, emotional regulation sleep quality pain tolerance all these kind of things so it there is a strong evidence basis that meditation is the business and definitely um lives up to these claims when we look at the functional MRIs and stuff. So rest assured, if you want to look into the data, you can really rest your concerns that you're not just sitting on the floor wasting your time, that there is going to be some tangible benefits. And you won't need to, you won't need any amount of data or studies once you've done it for a few weeks and you actually start to feel it yourself. And that's really going to be the biggest motivation. But just to get you started, take it from me, take it from anyone in the, in the group who's been doing meditation for some time, that you will, you will start to really feel a tangible benefit. And it's going to pay off massively multiple times over compared to the amount of time that you put into it in the beginning. Okay. So why meditate? Meditate to see better what's going on in your internal environment, to explore your emotional body, and to process and unload any of the conditionings that just cause us to act on autopilot. It takes you, um, it makes your mind quieter, takes out all of the, um, the extraneous kind of chatter and eventually you will only be left with the pragmatic thoughts that are required to take you to where you need to be in your life. And this can actually make you much more productive because 90% of the thoughts that we have are not practical ones. They're just self-referential bollocks that just go over in our head and kind of ruminations, essentially. Um, And if you look at a guy called Gary Weber, he kind of took this to the the end point. He used to work in a... He's got... I mean, he's a smart guy, has a PhD, used to work in the military and um, various corporate organisations and was working as a VP... One day his thoughts stopped after having done years of hours of meditation in the mornings. Um, and he said he was in a yoga pose his thoughts just stopped. And then when he came out of the yoga pose, they didn't return. And there was a moment of like, if I just turn up to work, I'm going to (laughs) get, I'm going to get found out. But he said, he turned up, had to deliver a meeting, uh, deliver a presentation. And he said, although there was nothing going on consciously here, subjectively, he said his body just t- took on the role. And he said the most articulate and eloquent speech came out of his mouth without having any conscious input from him. And people were asking him questions. And he said the the answers that came out were really well thought through, but there was no sense of agency, no sense of conscious input. Um, and he said that he just instantly became much more productive. And he said, you become the the smartest person in the room simply because you're the only person in the room, which is pretty cool. Right. So who am I and why should you listen to me? Well, the truth is you shouldn't listen to me. Listen to your own intuitive knowing. Take what I'm saying as a pointer and take the method as far as it, as far as it helps for you. Um, there's nothing special about me. I've not, um, I've not really done. Um, I've not achieved anything. I've not achieved enlightenment or any, anything even close to that. So I'm just someone who is collating the information for you to try yourself. Um, and I'm no monk, so this, uh, I'm basically, I was going to give you the kind of the basic minimum and keep things applicable, but I think for you guys, since, uh, you're clearly, if you're watching this, you're clearly serious about it, I'm going to give you the full whack and, um, you know, I'm not too worried about being seen as the kind of weirdy beardy type. I don't need to baby you. It's not up to me to censor what I'm going to say. Um, and it's not fair on me to preempt your tolerance for woo woo stuff. Right. So, um, as I say, any of the claims that you see, check the data, do it yourself, take it for checking, and you'll be able to take it much further than I have if you put in the work and, uh, you'll see the, the truths for yourself. Now I'm very cynical about kind of the Buzzfeedy approach to meditation. I think it's very damaging. Because what ends up happening is people don't end up putting in the work that's required. And it's the same way that now that if you're watching this, you know that training and improving your physique takes long-term consistent work. And if someone comes along and says, oh, you can get ab three inches on your biceps in two weeks and, um, you know, six-minute abs and all this stuff, and you've seen the claims in the industry get more and more extreme there's a race to the bottom, you know how damaging that is. You know how all that does is stop people from having realistic expectations and sets them up for disappointment. So I'm not going to make any kind of wild claims like that. What I will say is, um, and this is something, for example, Johnny came up to me and said, um, look, I'm doing three minutes of meditation a day or four, four minutes and I'm not feeling anything. I've been doing it for a few months. What do I do? Um, I don't think I'm really feeling the benefit from this. And I said, right, wake up, do 30 minutes a day every day for the next 10 days and come back to me and tell me that you don't feel anything. So you have to go big or go home with this stuff because remember, this is a bit like the, the argument that the classic personal trainer thing of, if you do 30 minutes of walking a day, that's fine. But what about the other 23 and a half hours a day? we we we're so far in the opposite direction and we're digging the hole um, negatively. We're we we're, we're doing all of the reverse habits for the rest of the day. That we're going to need some kind of overwhelming force to really kick ourselves back in the um, back in the direction, or tip the scales back over to us becoming conscious once again. Um, and yeah, the people who make these claims either they're just they haven't done it themselves, and they just think it's some kind of miracle cure, and they're just passing on secondhand information or they're doing it as a deliberate disservice to people. But I don't know, it's, as I say, it's like telling someone you can train for five minutes a day and make mad gains. It's just, it's not going to happen. The problem is that with meditation, it's harder to measure and it's harder to demonstrate your um, any kind of uh, progress or any kind of gain that's possible from it because it's not as obvious as big guns, for example. So luckily we have brain imaging now and we can see that that's the closest thing that you have as the objective measure. And you can also use something like Muse, which is an app on your phone. Um, It's a headset that detects your brain activity during meditation. And uh, that's another pretty useful way to, to track your own progress and see whether something's actually happening. Right. So... I guess the first question is, do you want to start meditating? Um, If you've looked at the data and you're thinking, "Yep, this is intriguing. I'll give it a go. Great. That's, that's all we need for now. And you have to decide, you have to be clear and realize that this is the best thing for you and at least be clear on that for a month. I'm not going to say you need to do it for any longer than that before you can then make the decision yourself, but really this is the master habit and it will have such a beautiful cascade of effects on the rest of your life, on your ability to apply yourself to everything else in your life. So the first thing is that simply you'll feel good. You will feel better and you can serve from a much better place that way. It's not, meditation is not really intended as a method to calm you down necessarily. It's designed to reveal the illusion of your mind and show yourself as a illusory construct. And so if you are doing it purely to feel good and you're not prepared to have your kind of foundational realities shaken at some point, maybe not now, but maybe in a year or two years time or or whatever, then don't do it. Then stick with relaxation practices, stick with breath, that kind of thing. Um, Because it's a technology really that's been designed to um, reveal the illusion that we are showing our, that we are showing ourselves. So, if you're prepared for that and you're going beyond just feeling good, then stick with it. Um, the evidence tends to suggest that st- stimulus reaches the amygdala faster, for so the Im- the zone for emotional processing in response to stimulus is reached faster than the zone for analysis and cortical processing. And this makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that emotions go faster than thought. And so trying to manage your emotions just by thinking is retrospective. Like the emotions already kicked in, you've already got the higher pulse rate, your pupils have opened and all that stuff. And so it's rarely effective to try and manage your emotions purely through thinking your way out of it. And we know that this is the case and that some of the greatest minds in the world have been the most emotionally troubled um, there's a huge correlation between mania or manic depression and being a great poet or a great artist or whatever, because they've got these wild highs and lows that they can draw on inspiration, but all great scientists and so on. But despite the fact that their minds were so developed, they, it didn't touch their emotional body. And so they are separate things. And, um, so one, one is going like by developing, your emotional regulatory capacity, it's a different discipline to improving your cognition, for example. And yeah, as I say, like if cognition could reign over emotion, then these intellectual heavyweights would have been able to overcome their issues just from power of thought. Now, the reason I'm talking about this and the illusion of the self is that they are intrinsically linked. And the illusion of the self is what causes our suffering. And that's why if you do not see through that and you try to layer things on top, it's only going to be a superficial improvement on your resting mood and how you, how you feel in general. The way that a guy called Hale Dwoskin described it, who came up with the Sedona Method, as you might have seen me talk about, is like is that positive thinking is like layering honey on top of a dead rat. You're going to sweeten the outside, but you still haven't dealt with the underlying issue that is causing the suffering or that that is the the problem there. So things like cognitive behavioral therapy and affirmations and that kind of thing, they are helpful for symptomatic relief, but it is an uphill struggle to try and override the amygdala just by changing your thought patterns. Eventually, you're going to create enough momentum to do that, but um, the emotional body has, is much more stronger and has more numerous connections with your kind of root consciousness than just your thought processing system. And I think the reason that a lot of cognitive behavioural therapists are often hit and miss, or people that try to engage in positive thinking without going or um, without going for a kind of an emotional processing approach is that they're missing that piece of the puzzle. And you'll have seen people like this. You know, the kind of happy-clappy, suppressive kind of people that have always got a smile on their face, but um, you can tell that there's some kind of pain beneath it, and the the belief is, if I layer on top enough positive thought on top, then I'll be fine. And it's not the case. We do have to see through that. And the more illusion we put on top, the more illusion we're going to have to unveil to eventually... See through it all. I've got some notes here. I'm just trying to make sense of them. <clears throat> yeah. So, on feeling good. We all have this basic hole in our chests. The kind of baseline level of discomfort. That is the, the human condition. The, the basic level of pain Um, the, the low level suffering, the resistance to what is going on right now, arguing with reality. And this is called many different things in different traditions. Um, the kind of Abrahamic religions describe it as either purgatory or hell. The Buddhist religion describes it as samsara. So the, the suffering of the ongoing, um, dissatisfaction of, of the world. And the, or uh, the Christians refer to it as original sin. It's wanting what is going on right now to be different than what it is. Like I'm wanting these hiccups to be different than what they are. Um, And this is constant. It's in the background at all times if you care to notice it. And by meditating, we will tune into this and eventually unload it. Now, again, the data says that as we, for the first few weeks of meditating, you may actually feel worse particularly men, and I find this interesting because when women and men start on a meditation approach, they, after two weeks, women's mood has statistically improved slightly, men's mood has gone down slightly, and I suspect that this is because, as men, we are generally conditioned to not express our emotions, to not demonstrate uh, or to, to be out of touch with them, And the only emotion that becomes acceptable to express is anger or frustration and as a result we push it down and so when we tune into our emotions there's often an uprising of of suppressed pain that comes up initially and that's what can cause our baseline mood to tank for a while after we've started meditating we've started opening up that pandora's box and it's only later when it starts to really stabilize so part of it is about getting in touch with this. And as a result, that will change our expectations of reality and match up slightly more so that we don't have this gap between expectations and reality. And the more that we can align our expectations with our reality, the happier that we are. Now the reflexive approach, the standard autopilot thing that we always do is that we attempt to align reality with our desires and then Addictions arise as we try to anaesthetise ourselves from the pain that we're feeling, trying to change and manipulate our external environment to match our internal state, which is very rarely possible, if ever. Now, it is sometimes possible to do it in the short term, but it's futile on a macroscopic scale. And even if you can tap into the direct pleasure centres of your brain, like taking an opiate or um, you know heroin or something like that, very quickly you develop a tolerance to it and your world crashes down again. So um, the world is too large and too oscillating to really be able to manipulate it um, or direct it to match our own desires. And so the only other option is we need to change ourselves internally to match the outside world or to, to be more aligned with that. And luckily, that is a much easier task because... The more that we can cultivate acceptance of the present moment, of our thoughts that's going on, of the sensations that's happening in our body, and the less we can resist them, then we short-circuit the whole process. We've dropped the resistance, we've aligned our expectations with reality, and we're at peace once again. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be happy. It Happy and sad are just emotions on the surface. They are phenomena that go on but you'll be at peace so even if you're feeling sad you'll be at peace with the fact you're feeling sad and it won't be a source of suffering and it's a bit of a it's a weird concept to try and describe because we're taught to run away from sadness and towards happiness but um, there will be times in your life where you've maybe not felt happy but you felt completely at peace with it maybe you've had a, a moment where you've been crying and the tears were coming out but it felt beautiful because there was no resistance to it you were just there you were crying and and that was all there is and so there is a subtle um resistance there can even be a subtle resistance to being happy you could be feeling good but knowing that it's not going to last and so there's this hold back as a sense of like this isn't really this isn't going to last and so it's tinged with a negative um negative film on top Right. Am I making any sense so far? I see there's, there's two people on the call let me know if, uh, if I'm going too off piece or if you have any questions so far, I will get onto how to apply all of this, but I think it's important to have a background and to know what you're getting into with meditation. Um, and you can see why I am hesitant to just throw out recommendations straight away without, um, being aware that this is, this is what we're doing. Otherwise I think it's deceptive to just throw out, yeah, step by step process without explaining this stuff. Now, desire, um, we have this dissonance between reality and expectation that I said it's then directed onto an object onto something in our outside reality. We then conflate that object with the acquisition or the acquisition of the object with our happiness. That happiness lasts for a short time. We spike for a moment as the desire is fulfilled. Desire then moves on to another object and then the cycle continues. Happiness is not contained in the object. We know that intellectually, but it's the happiness comes from the quieting of the mind in that little window just after the acquisition of the object. The mind has been temporarily pacified and We feel quiet, we feel peaceful, we feel better for that moment. Rupert Spira says, We seek happiness in all of the conventional objects, and then when they have failed us sufficiently, we look in less conventional objects. We hear about something called meditation, which we approach in the same way as substances, relationships, activities and objects. We say, okay, I'm going to do this new kind of seeking now and achieve subtle states of mind that will finally give me the happiness that I was seeking in objects. And so the I, the separate self, now seeks a new sensation in meditation and it brings out temporary relief. But that's now a new thing to do and it's a new way for our happiness to be conditional on something. And so we can see that the structure, the basic structure of our minds has this trap and it can apply it to absolutely anything, even to the tool that we're using to unload it. So we do have to be very careful with this and develop that metacognizance, that awareness of what's going on in our minds so that we're not continually falling for that same trap. So when you are meditating, you may feel a rebellion in the mind when you just, you don't give it anything to do, and it'll just get agitated, and it'll try to get your attention by providing excuses like, this is uncomfortable, this is pointless, this isn't the real thing, this isn't enough, um, I've got better things to do, I'm busy, etc, etc. So um, one approach that you can take, and I'm going to go over the two main methods of meditation, the two main categories is just to let your thoughts do what they are conditioned to do, and you are stepping back as the observer. And the more you do this, the more you realise there is a separation between you and your thoughts, and you are not your thoughts. And the less you interfere with them, the more they spin out their own momentum and do what they're doing. And if you just sit and abide as that awareness, you realise more and more that you are at home, and what's going on in this mind and body structure is just playing out its own
1: momentum and just doing its own thing. Hey, Johnny here. Just a really quick interruption to this episode to let you know about a resource we now have up and running on propinfitness.com. One of the most popular questions we get from readers and listeners is Hey guys, what would you recommend for my starting calories for fat loss and muscle gain? How much protein, carbs, fat? How many calories should I eat to begin my journey as a starting point? Normally, this is something that we do for clients when they come into our program, the Propin Protocol. But recently, we have opened up the calculator that we use for all of our clients so that you can get a free calculation, a free starting point of what we would recommend if you were to start as a client with us for your protein, carbs, fats, and calories overall for either fat loss or muscle gain, customized to you and your goal. If you want to get access to that, it is totally free. You just have to go to propinfitnesscom forward slash calculator, enter your information, and we will send your macros and your calorie recommendations to that email address. And we'll also send you a few free resources over email just to pad that out and ensure that you have the best possible chances of reaching your goals in fat loss and muscle gain. Hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Okay,
0: so we've talked about why meditate, what is it, and about the concept of feeling good. Next thing is some of the benefits. So I mentioned some of them. You'll have more space between your awareness and the contents of your awareness. You'll be running less on autopilot. You may, for a short time or for a longer time, depending on how you have processed your emotions up until this point, feel more emotionally raw. Those emotions were always there. You're not you're not exacerbating anything that already exists. It's just that in the past we were quicker before we learned to meditate, we were quicker at distracting ourselves. We've opened up Now, a field of awareness that just shines more light on these instinctive reactions. And that is why we feel more raw. This is a difficult um, pitch, difficult sell, but don't expect benefits. Don't do it for the benefits, do it for the sake of meditation itself. And to learn just to, to get more in touch with what's going on here. So as you're building the habit, be compassionate with yourself. Beating yourself up for not doing it well is a very common habit and um, it's just part of the, again, part of the contents of awareness. It's nothing special. Don't give it any extra meaning. Meditation in the data shows that it can uh, reduce the likelihood of getting a cold or flu. The uh, University of Wisconsin found this um, and that the protective effect of meditation is greater than the moderate intensity cardio Um, than the effect of doing moderate-intensity cardio on getting colds. Others will give wide claims for meditation as just as simply being the end of suffering. And at its end point, it is. But in terms of more practical and achievable benefits right now, you will gradually reduce your level of suffering, and you can check in with yourself every week and, and see that for yourself. But also, pragmatic benefits, things like efficiency, this is a big one for me. And by switching your focus between tasks, um, you often slow yourself down overall. But instead, if you can do, um, if you can do a 30-minute meditation session per day, for example, you're hitting two birds with one stone. You're getting a lot of the benefits of exercise and of meditation at the same time. And you're paying off in terms of productivity for the rest of the day. Because if you can train the ability to continually bring yourself back to a single point of focus, then when you're doing work throughout the rest of the day, you'll be less tempted to procrastinate or to switch between other things or or whatever. And a lot of people find that even if they do a couple of hours of meditation a day, it pays back in dividends in terms of the amount of time that they save throughout the rest of the day. Physiological benefits, improvement in sleep quality, subjective well um, Interleukins, so the biomarker for immunity, salivary cortisol drops, pain tolerance, and blood pressure are all dropping with meditation. There is a suppression of the age related cortical thinning, i.e., as you get older, your cortex, the kind of um, personality and higher thinking zone of your brain, gets thinner normally. With meditation, you stop that process in its tracks. You increase the density of the grey matter in your frontal cortex and in the brainstem, which are particularly related to cardiorespiratory control and higher level thought, personality, um, the kind of super ego style thinking. You have enhanced recovery response to a wide range of stresses. Your capacity for emotional regulation improves pain tolerance and chronic pain management as well. And uh, there are longitudinal differences in amygdala activation, so the activation in response to emotional stimuli between meditators and and non-meditators, which, again, show the the long-term benefits on emotional processing. And this happens, as I say, at a faster rate than you can think. So your baseline responsiveness to your automatic response to negative emotional stimuli becomes more robust there's also dna and cellular effects reducing oxidative stress and dna damage and things like qigong as well similar to tai chi was found to stimulate antioxidant enzyme activity increasing the length of your telomeres which are the um, the kind of nonsense extra bits of dna at the end of your chromosomes which are very tightly correlated with length of life and so by preserving them, you're preserving your total length of life. Okay. So as I say, meditation is the master habit. It's a form of therapy and it's a way to unload and view the, see through the illusion of ourselves. And if you're prepared to to do all of that, then let's get started with how to do it. So I would start with the, the lowest level commitment that you can just to develop the habit and set that as your minimum so that can be one minute a day or two minutes a day do it first thing on waking if you can don't roll straight out of bed and do it because you'll just fall asleep but get up brush your teeth have a coffee or something so that you're awake and then sit down same spot every day maybe um, dedicate a corner of your room put a cushion there or something so that you just instill that habit and you can your brain gets into that zone each time there are people that say that the energy pools there and stuff but i'm not going to give you any of that i'm just going to say do it because it helps you develop that habit and you get into the zone there and meditate for one minute start with that do it for three days once you've got three days in a row add a minute keep going keep adding a minute doesn't mean that when you finish the minute you have to stop but once you've got the bare minimum. You know that that's that's all you needed to do for the day. And the key thing is to not develop resistance to it early on, because that's going to stop you from actually doing it. Your attention will wander. That is an absolute given. You will not be able, even if you think, if you're listening to this and thinking, "Oh, this is that'll be piece of piss," you will not be able to sit down for a single minute and have no thoughts. <laughs> And that's fine, because the goal of meditation is not to have no thoughts. It's to recognize when they're coming. And the reps, the actual training effect, is from bringing your attention back each time. So that is the practice itself. And the more comfortable that you get with that process, the more advanced you become with the method. Okay. I'm going to skip through a bunch of stuff. And. Right. So we were talking about seeing through the illusion of the self. Eventually, these are quotes from people who have experienced this firsthand. The guy called Gary Weber, who I mentioned before, says, as our lives progress, there are millions of experiences that occur. Some of these were captured and recorded but the vast majority simply passed by and didn't stick. The ones that were stuck on were written like on post-it notes that would help you remember them clearly. It would be useful to have them in different colours, showing their category for easy easy sorting. There would be yellow post-it notes dealing with school, such as good at maths, not good at history, doesn't need to work on English, etc. There'd be blue post-it notes dealing with athletics, such as Basketball is fun, but not tall enough, or not good at football, not good, not fast enough for field hockey, etc. And these post-it notes are stuck on, imagine like you've got loads of these post-it notes stuck onto you all the time, every time you take on a new sense of identity or a new attribute or something, you stick on another post-it note. There would be other categories, dating, popularity, friends, work, appearance, intelligence, partners, etc., These would be assembled as they arrived over the years in an accidental, serendipitous, humble jumble fashion into a ball of coloured notes. Somehow, someone, who knows who, decided that all of these single experiences over the years, on all these different coloured notes, made a coherent thing called I. That is just impossible. It is just a ball of ad hoc, randomly selected post-it notes, assembled in a haphazard fashion from the millions of experiences that were available. There is no rationale behind assuming that all of this, that it is all one single color, one single entity with a single identity. And so through particularly the Sedona method, which is the most clear analogy for taking off these post-it notes one by one, is you take an assumption or some idea that you have about yourself and you systematically remove it. And if you keep doing that, you're going to find something that's maybe a bit scary, which is when you take off all the post-it notes, there is nothing underneath and that it was just simply the amalgam of post-it notes that had this shape and that we thought was the eye. But when you take it off, there is no eye. And so the ultimate goal of meditation is to build enough concentration and detachment to see through that illusion, even if it's only briefly, and realize that there is no agent, there is no person behind that. And this is a difficult concept to grasp from the logical mind because it is only something that can be seen experientially. And this is what... Buddhists call Samadhi, the non-dual consciousness. Other people call it God, Nirvana, Oneness, Christ, um, whatever they choose to call it. Now, there is a neuroscientific basis for this before you think that I've gone off the deep end. And this is because through enough meditation, we switch our dominant neural pattern from the default mode network, the selfing network, into the tasking network. And along with that comes the... Um, phenomenology the sense of not being a self of not identifying in space and time now we can see this in the functional brain imaging of experienced meditators but we can also see it with things like psilocybin magic mushrooms so you can probably see that image there this is the brain activity in someone who has got a he was in the psychedelic state and they take people out of the default mode network out of the selfing ruminative self-focused thoughts into the tasking network and that's what gives these senses of oneness so I'm going to leave that up there if you want to see the full study comment below and I'll um, I'll dig up the link for you but This is the reason they've done this study is to look at the implications for depression and anxiety, because there may be some pharmacologic effect of these drugs that we can use. Um, We can identify the the non kind of hallucinogenic parts of it and use it to help kick kickstart people out of depression. And there was a recent study this week about exactly that. So dysfunction between and within these structures may induce disturbances in emotional behaviour and other cognitive aspects and depressive syndromes in humans. So there's this link between identifying with something, with a single structure, and your your mood and your emotional regulation. All right. If you want more on Gary okay. Weber, check out an interview with him on YouTube. There's one where he's just sat having a beer with this guy and talks about uh, the the process of what's happened to him. And it's really fascinating. Okay. So if you are too busy to meditate, remember what I said that it will pay off in productivity. And even for the most busy people, you will find there are moments of downtime during the day where even if it's not deliberate, we're just less productive. And if we were to pick up all of those bits, mash them together together, And eliminate them then you would be so much more productive and the way that you can do that is eventually by and it does come back to emotional regulation all the time because when we procrastinate it's because we're in pain it's because we are looking for a a quick respite from the pain of what we're doing the monotony of what we're doing and so we try and just anesthetize ourselves a little bit each time and that takes a bit of time and if we no longer have those drives to do that you'll be more productive you'll be less fatigued And you'll be happier as well and more at peace. So the times to use as a chance to meditate would be when you're eating, particularly if you're dieting, rather than eating in front of the TV, sit down, no distractions, and just fully engage in the food. And that's probably the most fun way to do it because food is always fun. And if you can sit and just experience the food itself, experience the sensations of the food, the the sounds of crunching it, the feeling of it going down your esophagus, the taste, obviously, the smell, and just engage in that fully. You're gonna enjoy the food more, you're gonna become more conscious of why you're eating and actually um, less conscious or, or less tied into eating as a knee-jerk reaction. And if you struggle with binges, The practice of mindful eating is huge because you then strip away all of the story around eating and you just get in touch with the raw sensations of eating. So that's immediately, say, three times a day of 15, 20 minutes that you've got built into your day there. There's no extra time commitment needed. Aside from that, obviously, we need to do the morning session. I would say morning rather than evening because if you are doing... If you're doing an evening session, they're much, much more easy to, um, to let slide. Evenings tend to be more busy. You tend to be more tired. It's easy to rationalize it away. Whereas first thing in the morning, before the day is really started and before you have to go and set up with your commitments, you can fit in two minutes. It's no problem and build that up. So how to maintain the habit, you need to catch the bug. Just like with training, you have to do it enough to enjoy the process. So Insight Timer is an app for iPhone and Android, and there's a few guys in the group that are using Insight Timer already. It's a simple timer app, but it logs your total time in meditation. This will give you, um, first of all, the motivation to see your total amount of time that you've spent, but also the accountability. You can join the Team Propane group on there, and you'll be able to access um other people in there and set up with a buddy and make sure that you're you're keeping each other accountable to meditate each day so yeah those are the things for actually developing the habit itself and doing it now the actual question of how to meditate what is the method and how do i how do i do it so i'm going to give you the two main methods I'm going to recommend one of the methods to start with if you have no experience in meditating. And then how to progress over the weeks to build in the other method and to learn to actually um, learn to build it into your life and, and see more of the benefits from it. So the two categories, the two overall strands of meditation are concentration and insight. Concentration is insight is also known as mindfulness or vipassana as well, and concentration is known as samadhi or breath-focused meditation. So these are the two general strands. There are hundreds of subtypes within each of these, but I would recommend starting with concentration meditation. This is because we are generally not very used to holding our mind on a single point of focus. For some people, if you work in a very um, knowledge-heavy environment, or if you are a professional in a field that requires very focused thought, if you're a physicist or something like that, then you may not be limited by concentration. You may actually have very strong concentration. So um, it depends on your background and how much you've done this. And you'll, you'll immediately see from doing the practice how easy or difficult it is. But concentration meditation is simply you pick an object of concentration. And it can be anything, but the breath is the typical one that's used because it's always there and it's always in motion, so you can follow it. And you sit and you observe it. That's all you do. There's no complex instruction there. You pick a point, so you can either pick a point at the the end of the, the tip of the nose, <clears throat> or you can focus on your belly expanding and contracting. But you pick a certain point and you focus on the sensation of the breath. If that's too difficult, you can count, count to five or count to ten. So in, out is one, and just do that until you hit 10 and then reset go back to 1 again and every time you lose track don't get annoyed at yourself just bring it back to what you bring it back to the focus of your breath or counting on the numbers if you lose track of the numbers go back to number 1 again it's not about how many times you lose track it's just about bringing yourself back to doing what you're doing and there's no advantage to getting annoyed at yourself for being shit at it okay so That's the breath focus meditation. It's all it is. And the longer you do it, the longer you'll be able to maintain your focus on the object and then the deeper it'll go as well. The eventual goal, they say, if you want to get into the kind of deep concentration states, are if you can do a thousand breaths, completely unbroken and completely focused on that thing without even your mind flitting away that's when you get into the absorption states. And those are the times where your mind kind of implodes on itself and you have these deep spiritual experiences. But um, that's kind of a long way off, maybe, unless you've got naturally very strong concentration. But for now, this builds the foundation. It builds the stability of your focus to concentrate on stuff throughout the day, to be less distracted. And you've built in that pattern of if something if something pulls you off target, you can just gently bring your mind back to what it's doing again. And that'll give you a sense of intensity of focus when you're doing something. Once you've built up a few months of doing concentration practice, you're probably ready to try some of the insight practice, some of the Vipassana mindfulness approach. (coughs) And if we look at consciousness as, so in concentration, we're using a laser beam focus. We're taking all of this consciousness here and focusing it down into a single pointed point of focus. So that's the laser beam. Vipassana or mindfulness is the opposite. It's floodlight. So you're taking that stability of concentration, but you're rather than applying it to a single point, you're applying it to everything that's going on right now. So all of the sensations that are happening, anything that's any input and stick with sensory input because the more you stick with that, the more attuned you become with that, the more you realize that actually even non-sensory input like thought does have a sensory component, and you'll find that by doing the practice. So the insight meditation, you sit and you wait for a sensation to come up, and it won't take long. And it can be a thought, or it could be the feeling of your bum against the seat, or your back against the wall, or your hair on your head. It could be anything like that. And if you've done enough concentration practice, because remember, if you dive straight into this, you're probably going to get thrown around and taken off target. So, um, we need to have some stability and it sometimes even helps before you do a open-ended floodlight focused meditation practice to do five minutes of breath first. And that'll just help kind of stabilize your mind. Next, you sit and wait. Sensation comes up and you play space invaders with those sensations. Sensation comes, you spot it, that's it. You you just identify it and you don't do anything else. You don't need to get rid of it. You don't need to keep it there. You don't need to focus on it. Just spot that it's happened and then open up your focus once again and just keep doing that. And eventually you will become more and more attuned with the internal processes and the movements that are going on in your body. And you'll start to spot, initially it'll be crude sensations, big, obvious things like pressure and noise and things like that. And eventually these, you become so tuned into the micro components of each of these sensations, what they're made up of, little flashes of energy and stuff going on inside you, all of this stuff. And so the goal is to continually flood your body with consciousness and just spot these moments these little stimuli, little things that come up, spot it, clock it, let it go. And that is space invaders. That's Vipassana. Okay. Now you do eventually need a longer, longer time than three or four minutes to meditate, to get some benefit from it. When I was talking about doing it for two minutes or three minutes, That's to develop the habit, but you're very unlikely to feel tangible benefits from it from that amount of time. Once you've got the habit in place, then you can start to extend your sessions. And this is just because the mind is constantly racing, especially if we've been out and about doing stuff. We're flooded with sensations and with um, stimuli and things to knock us around. So you need time to stop and let the mud sit, just like you have a jar. And if you shake it up, um, and it's got mud in it, it's going to be swirling around. You need to give it half an hour or so just for the mud to actually settle. In reality, it's probably 10 minutes. Um, and the more that you stir it and try to control it, the more it stirs it back up again. So you just let it settle for a bit, and then you can start to see it with clarity. Now, a higher-powered power, higher mind thinking harder to try and think your way out of a situation, is like shining a brighter light into a mirror to see through it, or screaming louder into an echo chamber. It's only going to come back at you harder. So this is why we need to actually let go entirely and just let consciousness spin itself out. And that's when you start to see the beauty in the silence that is beneath it all. Okay. Eventually you will need to switch between methods. Doing vipassana for a while, you'll eventually find that you're limited just by your concentration again. So that's when it's time to switch back and do concentration meditation for a while. Maybe build up the total number of breaths that you can hit before you get distracted. I did this for a while recently. I was hitting a plateau with my Space Invaders practice. And so I switched back to concentration meditation. I built up my number of breaths up to 100 once I got to 100, I thought, OK, like that's, say, 35 minutes or so of unbroken concentration. Let's move back to Vipassana. And it did improve things. So you can always switch between. This is kind of like auto-regulating. Um, the mindfulness or Vipassana school of thought says that it is these sensations here and now that are soaked with the truth. And you're using them to find, to, to dive into and actually get insights. That's why it's called Insight Meditation from the physical sensations. And it's a very, it's a weird concept. But again, it has to be experienced. This is an important concept of, if I can get it working. No, I can't. Here we go. James Clear on habit building. Make it so easy that you can't say no. here. Remember if you set the bar low, then it's easy to hit the consistent habit. If you set the bar too high, you're going to require a huge amount of activation energy, a huge amount of motivation to hit that level and to make it consistent. So start easy, get it stable before you start giving it the business, giving it the big one. Right. Any questions? Anyone still awake? I'll give you some quotes in the meantime. Saying all this about meditation, you will notice familiarity, you will notice that. There will be times when you've been lifting that you experienced that place. For example, when you've got 180 kilos on your back, nothing else exists. You're not going to be thinking about, have I fed the cat? Or is the, is the oven on? Or um, I'm annoyed at what that person said to me. The com- concerns about your job and spouse and studies and everything, they're all suspended because your mind is unified onto a single point. People say that you get the same thing during a... A boxing match, for example. All right, I'm going to give a couple of thoughts on what to expect, and I'm going to wrap things up. The spiritual world, or the, the depth of consciousness, is infinite, like legitimately infinite, and it goes on forever inwardly. And the thing that the guy who said that was Louis C.K. cracked me up because his daughter was sat in the back of the car and was like dad i'm bored and he was like you don't get to be bored you are like you have seen literally zero percent of the world and you're sat here in the back of a car saying that you're bored and even if you were to just go into your mind your mind goes on forever inwardly like you have seen nothing so you do not get to be bored and uh I, I think that's such a, such a well put phrase there. spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight does not speak in words either. It speaks in instant download of high speed information. It doesn't speak in images. It's like, it's like seeing a color for the first time. And so the way that someone described it was the typewriter on a page. If you, um, the, the way that it, transmits information to you and it does come from a place outside of yourself is like someone's typed an entire novel onto a typewriter but the typewriter's broken and it doesn't move the letters along it just keeps typing the same letter on top of the on top of the same spot and so what you've got is like a bunch of garbled letters just on the same spot there if someone could come along with a really powerful brain and could read it all just by looking at that one spot then they'd be able to interpret the whole novel by looking at that one spot. It's kind of like that. It's like something's just been implanted and thrown into your brain, and it's often more than you feel like you can handle. People experience the same thing with the big insights that they would get from psychedelics or from any kind of spiritual experience that was maybe um, unintended and throws them into this place. The other thing to expect is that as I said about the emotional rawness, you are going to, you are messing with a callus here, like the calluses on your hands from lifting. You pull it off, you're going to start disrupting it. Same with foam rolling or any of these things, you're going to start stirring up the dust. And it's going to be painful, but it is what is ultimately in the way of proper function. And so you have to, or having a poo, having a big, painful poo. It's going to stretch your sphincter and it's going to hurt, but when it's out, You've got rid of the toxic material. And then that means that your baseline affectivity, your baseline emotional state afterwards is going to feel so much more stable and so much better. Something that you might see, something that I've seen is the totality of the suffering that you have put into yourself. You know, I was saying at the start about the files that you've downloaded onto your computer. It's like, You've opened up your file, your hard drive one day, and you're like, "Bloody hell! I've downloaded a whole bunch of bollocks," um, and you've just got all this stuff, and you just see it in its totality for a moment, and you're like, "Wow! This is a huge repository of emotion, of conditioning that I've picked up over the over the years." And now I'm seeing this junkyard for what it is, and it's a very big and painful thing to um, to experience in one go, and so when you see that you then recognize, right, this needs to be let go of, needs to be unloaded. And this is why we're so averse to sitting quietly with our thoughts. It's going to be painful because all of that stuff can slowly come up and it's why we will come up with the most advanced and um, clever tactical reasons that we shouldn't be doing this right now, we should be getting up and doing something else because our mind doesn't want to face this stuff. Okay, what to expect? Payoff won't be instant. Um, It will take some time, but the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Um, it's going to be unpleasant, but it's going to make you more functional, happier, more at peace, more in tune with yourself, more compassionate and generally more of an effective person and help you to grow physically, mentally and spiritually. Alright guys, I'm going to leave it there because this has been long, it's been an hour and I'm sure um, you're wanting to start your day as well if you have any questions i'm going to hang around for another couple of minutes um, hayden says this has been really helpful excellent i'm very glad i see there's three people watching so I've got a couple of lurkers let me know if you if you guys are still awake and if you have any questions as well The action points for today are to download Insight Timer, join the propane, the team propane group on there, get accountable, and otherwise, um, get started. Do your two minutes today, get the ball rolling. You don't have to stop at two minutes, you can do 20, 30 minutes, but just hit the minimum. Score a single today, score a single tomorrow, do it for a week, build up the time, and start to reap the benefits of meditation okay if you do have any questions and you're watching the recording post in the comments and i will get back to you tag me in the post otherwise have a wonderful day and speak to you soon
1: hey johnny again hope you enjoyed that episode so we have an opportunity for you, something that we have put together that is totally free, that is a synthesis of everything that Yusuf and I have learned in fat loss, muscle gain, nutrition, training, lifestyle, habits, the works. Everything that you hear on these podcasts, condensed and more, condensed into a synthesis of seven days of learning and immersive experience to totally overhaul, enhance, and accelerate the results you're getting currently in your training and your nutrition, no matter how advanced you are or aren't. We put together a virtual learning interactive coaching experience called the 7-Day Kickstart that you can take part in whenever you're ready to. To join, simply go profanfitness.com forward slash 7-Day Kickstart. Enter your details and you'll be sent everything that you need. You'll be coached by the ProPin Fitness coaching team over 7 days for free. You'll get 7 days of content sent to your email completely for free. And it gives you a look behind the scenes of what we do with clients and gives you a ton of information that previously was only available to paying clients inside of our world so profinfitnesscom forward slash seven day kickstart to take part and we hope to see you inside see you in the next episode speak soon